Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. You guys get an extra episode this week because this sport, college football, will not stop. <laughs> it has it has been a uh, a twenty four to forty eight hours, unlike any I think you and I. We've been covering this sport a long time. I don't remember anything quite like this. To go from one stop the presses bombshell of Lincoln Riley to USC to I would say an even bigger bombshell the next night. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU with Lincoln Riley. Um, well, we got a little bit of a warning for one thing, but also, I mean, he was literally just answering a question the night before about another job we thought he might be up for. So I can't say that was completely shocking. I, I This one left me speechless when the news came out. I actually am less surprised by this one than I was hmm. Lincoln Riley. Um, and I think the reason why I say that is because I didn't think USC would be able to pull it off. And quite honestly, if I thought Lincoln Riley was going anywhere, I thought it would be to the NFL. Whereas Brian Kelly, I've heard little rumblings like even Brian Kelly could have been a candidate at USC. The part that I get where you're coming from is, and I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but Brian Kelly did this like fairy godmother rant or whatever. Like yes. it was in the wake of Mike Tomlin's definitive you know, not only am I not going F you for even asking me it, you know, like that kind of thing. Whereas Brian Kelly went down that road, not quite as probably forceful as Jimbo Fisher did, but pretty much so. And last think, week, by the way, not like three months ago. Right. I think the part that has made this more wild is this aspect of it. And look, all of this, I feel like I'm I feel like this has been like a 72 hour day for me, but like the thing that jumped out to me here is that from talking to people who are close to Brian Kelly, and that means people who are on his staff, uh, they have had conversations with him where he had said, basically, I don't care what they're going to pay me. I, w I don't want, I'm not going there. And that's LSU of specifically. I believe so. I believe so. Um, and to that degree, and he doesn't want to leave here. And this seemed like it was more of a leverage play, not a leverage play, but a le you know, something about leverage because, you know, he'd been really pushing and begging for certain things to have a, you know, a chef for the football team, which most schools have to have a formal training table, uh, to have a new fo football facility being built, those kinds of things. And where I had heard like everything seemed to be a, a battle and, a lot of these things were done for the players, and yet, here it comes now. Notre Dame is maybe, and 
one, if not two losses this weekend, whether it be Michigan or Alabama losing again or possibly Oklahoma State, of Notre Dame being in the playoff. And so this guy who was pushing for, for seemingly benefits to, to benefit his team is bailing on his team when they could be a playoff team. And he, all we hear about from coaches is about culture and committed to them and all of these other things. And he is leaving this team behind. And so, you know, you have coaches who felt like they were, you know, assistants who felt like they're trying to, trying to talk recruits off a ledge. And then, you know, as I reported earlier um, Monday night, it come, you know, I just learned that Brian Kelly was actually did a home visit today. And when he came out, it was basically the news had gotten, had been getting out that he was, expected to leave to go to LSU. I mean, it's a bad, bad look for him. And I think that aspect of the wild nature of this, I think probably makes this even more surreal probably than just Lincoln, like USC landing Lincoln. Yeah. Look, every time a coach leaves a big name program, it it's always awkward. There's no good way to do it. The, the fan base that's left, I mean, you know, we'll get to Lincoln Riley here in a little bit, but Oklahoma fans who were, you know, rooting for this guy two nights ago, he, he is now completely dead to them. But Brian Kelly seems to do it in a particularly brazen way when he left Cincinnati for Notre Dame. And by the way, that wasn't a out-of-nowhere thing. That was... He was the obvious, was the obvious candidate, candidate right? The rumor had been out there for a week. Finally got through the last game. Cincinnati wasn't going to a playoff, but they were an undefeated team going to a bcs bowl which was a really big deal for that program at the time it was a sugar bowl, it was a sugar right? bowl to play tim tebow and he left and and kind of like this i felt like that that felt unprecedented you know a coach leaving his team before the uh you know whatever low level bowl down there okay that that's okay but like before a bcs game and now we're talking possibly don't know for sure that that like you said it's not an unrealistic scenario I mean, I don't think Alabama's going to get it in as a two-loss team, two team at this point. So all you need is Baylor to beat Oklahoma State, or Cincinnati loses to Houston, or Michigan loses to Iowa. Any of those three, Notre Dame's in the playoff probably, with an interim coach? That's insane. Could you imagine if Notre Dame, which has gotten blown out on big stages, goes to the playoff, and somehow they get in, and they, they, not, they even win one yeah. game? In the playoff, much less win two. That might be, you know, it's weird. And I don't know if, like, Notre Dame typically is a school that obviously has a huge fan base, but also has a lot of people who just are inclined to root against them. I suspect there'd be a lot of people rooting for Notre Dame because Screw of. Screw it to Brian Kelly. I made it wrong. Because, well, I don't know, just because I think, you know, this is, you know, this is the, the players really get, get jerked around here more than anything else. You know, and so I think there's going to be a lot of people who probably will be rooting for them. Now, this may be a moot point. They may not get into the playoff anyway, but I just think the aspect of like, like I remember thinking, and this came up actually today at the USC, it didn't come out the press conference, but it came up with a conversation I had to somebody where, you know, that Bedlam game was really close and back and forth. If Lincoln Riley's team, Oklahoma, won, Lincoln Riley's probably not the head coach at USC, or he's definitely not the head coach right now. You know, Matt Campbell might be the head coach at USC right now. So, 
it's kind of crazy how it plays this, you know, plays out like this. But man, Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, it's just like, um, and then, you know, like I think our colleagues, both Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna had the text message that Brian Kelly basically <laughs> sent them. And at one point I got a text from a head coach I know who basically was like, did he really break up with them over text? And I wrote back, you know, I kind of included the tweet from, I think it was Fortuna. And he was like, man, this is smacks of Todd Graham. And I was like, those are four words no coach ever wants to be associated with. I mean, we smacks could do, you know, we did that, uh, that coaching carousel series a couple months ago. We could have done a whole one just on uh, messy exits. Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville at the 50-yard yeah. line, you steakhouse. Know, leaving, just Leaving out the back door of a recruiting different. <laughs> I mean, there's been, there's, been, there's been some unbelievably awkward ones. This one is unique because of that playoff scenario. You said, going back to, you said you weren't as shocked about this. If you had told me, you know, two weeks ago that Brian Kelly was going to leave Notre Dame for USC, that kind of made sense to me. For whatever reason, I'm having a very hard time picturing Brian Kelly in LSU, in an LSU visor at Tiger Stadium facing off against Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher or Lane Kiffin or whoever. He, he, Look, he's a tremendous coach. He's won everywhere he's been. So I'm not going to, there's no reason to think he couldn't win at LSU. It just seems it is not the place I would have envisioned in terms of what you know, you would you refer to as cultural fit. That being said, as somebody pointed out, maybe Dan Wetzel, Ed Ogeron was the definitive cultural fit and they ain't up firing him. So sometimes that, that concept is a little bit overrated. Are you a good coach or are you not? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, like this thing started to percolate around, I think around lunchtime our time or maybe a little earlier. And, you know, we have good resources on this. So I'm, you know, connected with Brody Miller, our LSU writer, and Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer. And we're going back and forth about this and we're talking to different people and it becomes apparent they are really going hard after Brian Kelly. And I think the discussions we were having and, and as this thing started to unfold, Further, um, you know, I'm in the car with Leinert going to the USC press conference and, you know, he's driving and I'm just like, I'm talking to Pete Sampson and, and I'm keep thinking in my head, this is a stakes of, this is a poker game where one guy has a hand where he just, he does not want to have to play it. It's almost like, don't make me take this job kind of thing. And apparently, you know, it just felt like the relationship between Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, and Brian Kelly had really gotten frosty and deteriorated. And I think, I don't want to go too far down because I think Pete Sampson's going to have a heck of a story he's going to put together. And I don't want to kind of spill some of the beans in that. It it just seems from afar like that Jack Swarbrick, Brian Kelly wanted X, Y, and Z. Jack Swarbrick thought he was calling his bluff, and it turned out he wasn't bluffing. Well, I don't even know if it was... I think it's that, but I think there was some of it where Notre Dame does not operate uh, like like a typical college football powerhouse when it comes to ramping up and getting things signed off on and those kinds of things, for better or worse. In this case, it's probably much for worse. And, you know, I think it's going to be... the no matter what, you weren't going to be able to put the toothpaste back in the tube from this. And so, um, yeah, it's a messy, messy exit. I'll ask you this question. This is, and I don't want you to say the same thing, but like 
if you had to pick one, who who got the better hire, USC or LSU? Well, they're both really good hires. <laughs> it's a, it's hard to break that tie. Um, uh, I, I'm going to go USC because I feel like for for all the reasons that have now been, I mean, having watched that press conference and and talked about it at nauseum, nauseum. Uh, there's a lot of things that make sense about Lincoln Riley coaching in Southern California. Um, I think he's going to recruit the heck out of that place. I Brian Kelly in the SEC. I have real no real. Um, I'm having a really trouble imagining it. I know I should just say, look, the guy has had an absolutely tremendous. It worked run for Nick Saban. He's won everywhere. He's been. He'll win at LSU. But you know, it's the SEC West. It's not the Pac-12 South. Nick Saban, not exactly uh, from the deep south. No, plenty of people not from the south have gone in there and won. Less miles from Ohio. So. Do you think deep down, though, and look, he'll never say this publicly, I don't think, but clearly Brian Kelly wants to win a national championship. He's, he, and he outwardly he talked about doing it at Notre Dame you know that was always the stated goal and if anything the recruiting has gotten better and better but I wonder if deep down he realized look the same thing every time they play Alabama in the playoff or, or or you know Clemson they get their butts kicked because as well as they recruit like you said it's not a football powerhouse there are certain guys you can't take at Notre Dame uh there's guys that that you can't stash away and you know what I mean like there's limitations there and does he just feel like you know, I could keep doing the same thing here over and over. We could go 11 and one. Maybe we make the playoff. Maybe we don't. I'm never actually going to win a national title, no matter how hard I try, but I can definitely win one at LSU. I don't know. I'm excited to see how this plays out. So you're excited to see how this plays out. How are you feeling about, I just, I get this. I, I think this has been great. This coaching carousel, this insane coaching carousel has been great for business. It's been great for content. Not so sure it's great for college football. Um, the amount of money that is now being thrown at coaches, and I look, I'm sure I said the same thing when the first coach made four million or five million, but we've cracked we've double cracked digits, double digits and we've cracked it. It's not Nick Saban who's cracking it. Um, yeah, really, the one Mel, that really Mel almost cracked it. That? <laughs> Mel almost Mel almost cracked it after one winning season. Well, you know, it's Mel Tucker when when they announced that deal and i was like i wonder where where that ranks not just in college football but in all of sports and that list does exist and i and it was like oh my gosh 9.5 million dollars is exactly what steve kerr makes mel tucker who's 10 win season he's gonna go to a new year's six bowl congratulations on that makes the same salary as a guy who's won three nba championships you know, as a guy who coaches Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green is what this guy's making to, to coach college athletes. It's it's not normal. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. This something's broken here. Uh, and but I don't know how you put that genie back in the bottle. No, and I think um, I think our friend Pat Forty. I saw this on Twitter. I think he tweeted it out, or maybe it was from a column he wrote. Was talking about you know, and this isn't that far. We're not far removed from 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 employees getting furloughed and sports getting cut and ad's talking about how they don't have money and they do have money right so um 
and look, we're going to get into soon, very soon, like the CFP and a, and an expansion and TV contracts and money. And um, I don't know, like what you what you said before about how this is good for business. And when you mean by good for business, you mean look, it's certainly good. People for are reading the athletic. Uh, people are reading co- the athletic. About, right yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Uh, um, and people are talking about college sports in ways that probably in ways that honestly they talk about NFL free agency Absolutely. and NBA free agency and those kinds of things. And look, you, you are a big, bigger fan of realignment chatter than I am, but that's another thing that fits in that category. This is just coach realignment, you know, and they're all, they're all related. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas going to the sec is not, uh, I mean, you can kind of draw a line from that to, Brian Kelly wanting to go coach in the SEC or uh, Michigan State feeling like, you know what, we've got a guy who could take us to an expanded college football playoff. We need to lock him down. Um, It's a professional sport. There's no other way around. It's a professional sport where the players don't make a salary. And everybody, that tension has existed for a long time, but it's reached a breaking point. And, and, you know, NIL is kind of a stopgap. NIL is like, okay, well, you can't say we don't let the athletes make money anymore. They're allowed to make money. Uh, yes, that is true, but they can't make anywhere near the kind of money that the coaches are making to coach them. And you know, the you know, not to get too deep and 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 philosophical here, but you know, I've written for years. I think college football will eventually break off into its own thing, separate from the NCAA, maybe even separate from the conferences as we know them right now. And stuff like this is why, you know, uh, LSU hiring away. I think about if this were the NFL, and as soon as a team got eliminated from the playoffs and fired their coach, they went and hired the coach of somebody who is in the playoffs or who is about to make the playoffs. It's insane. And by the way, there's a meeting literally this week where they may rubber stamp the 12-team playoff. If this were a 12-team playoff, it wouldn't, we wouldn't just be talking about one team's coach uh possibly being pushed away you might you might have three or four of the 12 teams coaches getting pushed away and that's not healthy so you know you can't there's nothing that can be done about it the way college sports is currently constituted because each conference is its own entity you can't you know the nfl has a rule that you can't interview another team's coach until after their season's over there's no way to implement a rule like that in college football unless the top 25, 30, whatever it is, programs go and form their own equivalent of the NFL. Um, this That was a pretty good little rant. It wasn't a rant, but have you written this before and I haven't read it? Because this was actually very It was well off the top out. of my head, although I have written about the... This felt a little bit like, do you remember the scene in old school where Will Ferrell blacks out and just kind of <laughs> and wins the... Yeah, wins the debate. Whatever it was, yeah. poetry contest. Yeah, that's. Kind I guess of what I'm a little bit fired like. up. Like, um, I mean, I have written a lot about the notion of a Premier League and how I think that's coming at some point. Mostly, when I talked about that, I was talking more about TV contracts. Uh, but you know, no, there's a lot of factors lot of that, that you actually outlined that are colliding at once. That whether it's an early signing period, I didn't think about the 12, 12 team potential playoff but how that expands it how there is a lot of independent contractors in the sport essentially 
you have all sorts of poaching going on. It's happening, you know, obviously with recruiting, there's like, it feels like there are no more barriers. And I'm not like, what I don't feel is, like I'm not, woe is the sport or anything like that. Because I, I, sometimes I feel like I look at this and I am too close to it and I'm too much in the weeds of, you know, whatever is about to happen that, I, that I'm probably not, don't have a, 50,000 foot view to look at it. Um, I mean, I feel like the games are still going to be great and they're still going to be the games, but there's a lot of stuff where you look at it and go, man, this like just the aspect of Brian Kelly. Like, I think he's a really good coach. One of the probably six or eight best coaches in college football. I don't think I you know could find his six m- to put in front of him. I, maybe I no. think he's probably yeah. no, maybe right not. behind uh, Saban and Dabo. Yeah, I might, I don't know, I might put, depending on what happens, I might put Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley above him. I don't know. But he's definitely, you know, he's a consistent winner with a good track record. He only had that one stumble, you know, whatever it was, and he seemed to learn from it. So all those things. But what I guess what I'm getting at is um, Spencer Hall once had what I thought was a very clever line that he had. He tweeted out where, game day must have been at a Notre Dame game or something because Brian Kelly got off the bus and he had kind of on a jacket and in Brian and Spencer's line was he looks like a, a the the uh the manager of a wrestling villain and you know which was like a very pithy way of kind of maybe summing up maybe a smugness or I don't know what it was um but I think by and large you know Brian Kelly's reputation has been you know, in the last five years, six years has been pretty good. He does, you know, he's done a bunch of good work off the field and everything like that. But I think this, and you know, this day was not a good day. I know he's, you know, it's, it's weird because you're going on to make a big career move to potentially win it, go to a place where you think you can win a national title. But man, this is, this exit is, it's so messy, you know, it's, it feels like it's kind of unique because usually guys leave and the timing of how they announce it is one thing, but this was like, um, you know, like two days ago, there was a, you know, the Dan Wolken column I read and there was a lot of stuff that kind of resonated, but it was like, I don't know, two days ago, he's lobbying for why they deserve to be in the playoff. And then, you, you know, 48 hours later, he is fleeing the place after going to do an in-home visit. <laughs> I mean, it's it's as clunky as it gets. Um, not to defend Brian Kelly, but more to play devil's advocate a little bit. If the, if that's, let's, you know, we don't, yeah, again, we're all speculate, just speculating on why he's going. You had some good intel about the, the friction there, but if, if somebody comes along and offers you a job you really want in any other industry, if somebody came along and offered a it's job, it's different, Stu. It is different, Stu. Here's why it's different. Like I, because I saw somebody in the comments, I think to Wolk and say, yeah, if somebody offered you a fifty percent raise or X amount of dollars more, the thing is, and maybe I'm looking at this too literally, but you, Dan Wolk, and you know Pat Forty, whoever, you know, people do not, you know, maybe our readers commit to you, you're buying, you're subscribing to the, but it's not like eighteen year olds put their put their like lives and careers in your hands and commit to you and you sell them on a vision of hey we're gonna like I think if he left after the season and maybe if it was just hey you're gonna go play in but the he blockbuster can't, bowl right like everything you're saying is right like you are you're oh, the can. captain of the ship he All chose these people... not to. he chose not to 
I'm saying, I'm saying that, you know, whatever choice he made or didn't make, the fact that he had to make that choice is a byproduct of a really broken system. Like Scott Woodward probably shouldn't be allowed to offer the, the sitting coach of a team that might be able to the playoff a $100 million contract before season's over, but he's allowed to, and he did it. And, you know, I think there's been some unwritten rules along the way that are now no longer rules. We, on this very podcast, I want to say last week, right before Thanksgiving, we did a kind of a setting up the coaching carousel. And we talked about Luke Fickle and we we both agreed, well, if his team makes the playoff, he's not going to be able to go anywhere. He's off limits, yeah. Well, Brian Kelly just said that's not a rule, (laughs) you know? I think what's a little different to me, Stu, is... Luke Fickle's in the top four or top five. And maybe I think if like if Notre Dame was one spot higher and we don't know where they're going to come out tomorrow. I mean, where are they going to be? They, they may, may be fifth, fifth right? Because Ohio State, low. yeah. If they were fourth, would it be that much more egregious? Oh, if they were like, we, we control our destiny, we're going to the playoff and he's still left. Like maybe Brian Kelly just doesn't think they're going to make it. I don't know. But but, but let me ask go, you this. Well, little, go ahead. So, so... Georgia beats Alabama, hardly far-fetched at this point. Then Alabama's out of the top mm-hmm. four. Doesn't necessarily mean they'd stay at, that they'd fall behind Notre Dame. Doesn't automatically mean. Remember, Notre Dame doesn't have a chance to play its way in this weekend, so they just really need. No, but you you don't have Oklahoma. Where is Oklahoma State for in this? Discussion? I think. Well, we're going to find out Tuesday night. Is Oklahoma Oklahoma State would pass Notre Dame for sure if they win this week and win the Big Twelve. But will they be ahead of them in the poll that comes out Tuesday? I don't know. So we, what we see, like thinking is, they need Georgia to win, which is probably need them to win. Probably need. Uh, I don't know about that, but maybe. But they need Georgia to win, and they need one of these two things to happen: Michigan to lose to Iowa, or Baylor to beat, or Houston to beat Cincinnati. Yeah, or Houston to be. Yes, thank you. Any one of those things happens, they are, they could be in, and um, so playing this out. So, I mean, we all think that Notre Dame might turn to might want Luke Fickle as the coach now, right? We know Luke Fickle. That's a job that we think he would want. And how can you leave? That's my next question. If Notre Dame decides leave. Luke Fickle is their guy. And let's say they wait till after this. They at least wait till after this weekend, and he makes the playoff. And Notre Dame says, "Hey, Luke Fickle, here we're willing to offer you, you know, ten, here's your ten-year, a hundred million dollar contract to come to Notre Dame. The catch is you can't stay for the. We we need you now. It's early signing day. We you can't stay at Cincinnati for another month. Be, and now, is all this? This is solely because of the early signing period. Yeah. Well, I think one thing I would say is, you know, we said. I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle. They may have to scrap early signing day at this point. I, it was well-intentioned. There was a good reason to do it, which was, you know, these coaches were spending December and January crisscrossing the country to visit their committed recruits to make sure they didn't flip. So just let them sign. That was the reasoning for it. But look at the effect it's having on the coaching world. Or they push it back into after the playoff push it well at that point you might as well you're back to having your basically your one signing day but that's what's driving all this i mean this is 
oh, back in the day. Do you remember when Charlie Weiss got the Notre Dame job and stayed with the Patriots through the Super Bowl? Actually, he was introduced um, as Notre Dame's head coach in, in probably December, I want to say, or maybe early January after they uh, fired Tyron Willingham. And then he went back and was with the Patriots for the next month. I remember, actually, he held, <laughs> he held his signing day press conference from the Super Bowl. So hmm. think about that and now think about where we are now where it's not only can you not do that, you have to quit on your team before the season's over because we need you signing days in two weeks and we need you you know lincoln riley was introduced at a press conference monday was at a recruits home monday night two nights ago he was coaching in the for the big 12 title game yeah i mean i don't know just just uh we feel like we're in uncharted waters that's well so what is your read on what where notre dame goes next uh i would guess it's one of three people i would guess it's it's Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle, or there's a chance they could promote from within with Marcus Freeman. I think the question's going to be, this will be an interesting little audition for sort of for Marcus Freeman because, and look, there's a possibility they could name Brian Poley in the interim because he's actually had head coaching experience. Um, but let's say, I think it's really those are the three main candidates. And... What's ironic, I think ironic is maybe not the best way to put it, but the way things played out, Matt Campbell, I think, had a real good shot to be the USC head coach. Lincoln Riley ends up jumping at their chance. Matt Campbell's stuff gets canceled. Um, then you get this, the second curveball of two big curveballs, you know, going from Riley and then, then Brian Kelly leaving. Matt Campbell's sitting out there where timing might behoove him, where he's now he could be coaching against Lincoln Riley for the job that he, you know, didn't get. And from the timing aspect, I don't know how Luke Fickle, unless they lose, I don't know how he could he could bail out of that. If I'm Notre Dame, I feel like they have basically four choices that are apparent. Those three coaches, and one of them is like wait. I mean, you may, you just wait till the playoff, and that means you're going for Luke Fickle. So it's really, to me, it's Campbell, Freeman, wait. And if it's wait, that means you're probably going after, uh, you're going after him. Not unless you're Notre Dame and you think you're going to. What about? Do you, you know, think? And it's crazy to be talking Campbell. about this, but you know, it's not unusual for a school to hire somebody's coordinator, and he comes and he holds. So you're thinking that and he holds I know his you're press going. conference thinking, and he goes. L, you're thinking that Notre Dame, if they make the playoff, is going to hire interim head coach Ed Ogeron to come no, in. No, no, no. You, you missed that totally. <laughs> no, I'm saying, would it be kosher for Notre Dame to announce the playoff rankings get unveiled? Cincinnati, undefeated Cincinnati is going to the playoff. Notre Dame's going to the Fiesta Bowl or whatever. And then two days later, Notre Dame announces that Luke Fickle is going to be their next head coach, but he's staying with the Bearcats through the playoff. No, because, like, here's the problem with that. Like, I think. Yeah, you can have him. You can announce him. I think the issue is you're leaving us. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, that happens with coordinators all the time. You know, Kirby Smart. Yeah, coordinators. Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting some obvious ones off the top of my head. That happens. You know, I can remember actually. Lane Kiffin. This go- yeah, Lane Kiffin, although he screwed that up. I can actually remember going all the way back to when Dan Mullen was Urban Meyer's OC and got the Mississippi State job. 
I remember at the media day before the national title game, him showing off to us how he had two cell phones now, his Florida phone and his Mississippi State phone. Um, I, you wouldn't be able to do that with with Lincoln Riley, but I don't know. Is there some sort of like, well, it's a group of five coach and they're just thrilled to be in the playoffs, so they're not going to necessarily send him packing. Why, well, you know, but like, I think the whole aspect of you're leaving us, you're like, you, it's not like that job doesn't Scott Frost exist. coached UCF I, in the in the uh, uh, Peach Bowl, whatever, bowl. right? And they won. I don't know. I realize the playoff's yeah. different than a than a bowl game. The playoff yeah. is different, and the aspect of you, like I remembered Jeremy Pruitt when he was at Alabama. I remember talking about Tennessee and everything like that, and you're talking about how you're going to do it on your own time. It's just different. You're the head coach of a national title team. You, the last thing you don't need any one more distraction. I think that's a disservice to your team. All right, we haven't even started to touch on Lincoln Riley, and I do want to go there because you were at the press conference at the Coliseum. I watched it on TV. They really went all out, man. They had billboards of him in the background. Uh, Lincoln Riley himself kept kind of looking. He seemed kind of in awe of the... It's funny, I've covered a lot of games from that press box, so have you. And usually when I look out, I'm like, oh, it's really smoggy in L.A. today. (laughs) Lincoln Riley was looking at it like the Eiffel Tower was behind him. Like, look at this. Um... You know how sometimes you, you know, during a live event like that or something, you send a tweet and you move on and you don't even notice that until much later that one of your tweets kind of went viral. I tweeted out a lot of quotes from that press conference, but the one I tweeted out that like Oklahoma fans just jumped on and 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 had a field day with was when he described the timeline of how the job came together. He said he found out about the USC was interested late Saturday night, early Sunday after the after Bedlam. Got a couple hours sleep, got up, hopped on a Zoom call with USC that morning, and the next thing you know, he's he's their coach. Nobody seemed to believe it. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think people are going to be skeptical that such a big career move could 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 happen like that. I mean, I saw Alex Grinch, who who was one of the coaches who's who's come to USC with him, the new defensive coordinator, and he talked about. I think it was he got a call from his agent at. I don't know. If, I think he said it was three thirty Central Time in the morning. I mean, I guess look at it this way. I mean, at that point, it's like okay, if somebody's calling me at this time and this person's calling, they must have something serious. And I think that thing just kind of really escalated from there. I think um, it could be true that you know two things can simultaneously be true. Lincoln Riley may be telling the truth that he himself didn't talk to USC until after that game. But Lincoln Riley, I'm guessing his his yeah, representative. He's got an agent. USC can talk to his agent as much as they want. Set the ground, set the table, so that as soon as the season ends, and by the way, like you said, it could have lasted another week, that they're ready to move and they're ready to pounce. And um, I know Mike Bowen at that press conference he was not he- not shy about um, the, the hyperbole and kind of just really patting himself and his team on the back. For, <laughs> Changing, what did he say? Changing the dynamics of college football forever or something. Uh, but he gave a lot of, he gave, a, a, you know, a name call, a name drop to Brandon Sosna, his very young uh, number two man who came with him from Cincinnati and basically said he, he was the architect of the search. And he's the reason they were able to pull this off. And uh, I don't know, you were there. I'm, ta- I'm talking too much. Tell us about the press conference. Um, you know, I think for USC, 
It is a proud program that has gotten its head slammed against the wall like 94 different ways over the past few years. So I think this was a chance for them to say, hey, dust themselves off and feel good. And I think for a lot of them, you know, I, I think they were, I think there was a there was a little bit of like, they could sigh a relief. Hey, we're not, we didn't screw this up. See, we didn't get this wrong, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, look, good for them. It's good. It's, it's good for the Pac-12. It's certainly good for them. But I think that, you know, listening to them, I think it was a first window for some people to, to see Carol Folt, the president there. Because remember, since she took over, it's like they've had like one scandal after another. Not that wasn't on her watch. It was stuff she inherited. But I, I think even for Mike Bone, um, this was a chance to to for people to you know because i mean they went through this this thing they thanked dante williams they thanked rick caruso who's basically the guy who kind of makes things happen around usc and it was like then i just thought it was very cathartic for them right and i I think lincoln riley you had like two different things going on you had one was the the usc leadership and the uf usc infrastructure you had a bunch of you know like sanchez was there and liner was obviously there and there was like handful of former star players and a lot of people from their board and they had the band and they had the cheerleaders or the song girls and but then there was a Lincoln Riley piece where it's like okay here I am you know and it's like I'm at USC now and my wife and little girls are out here and I've got some of my old slash new coaches are with me and so I think that part felt really different like it was almost like USC could have had this you know, if they didn't have Lincoln Riley and just talk about the hire itself. But I think the fact that it was the Lincoln Riley piece of it is like, okay, how are you going to get this done? How do you fix this? You know, kind of thing. And I'm not saying I don't think he knows what he's getting into, but I think right now this is the total honeymoon day. And um, I feel like USC for the first time had a chance to show off a lot of stuff. Yeah, and they did. For the last... Yeah, for the last couple of years, I was like, I don't even know how many people, because some of this happened, you know, when, when the shutdown with COVID, like there was massive renovation to the Coliseum, you know, it's been, you know, upgraded, everything. There's a lot of really positive things about it. And I feel like this was an opportunity for USC to puff out its chest when USC really has not had any chance to do that in a long time. Everybody's speculating, why did he do that? Why did Lincoln Riley go to USC? Is he scared to be in the SEC? etc etc just reading his body language at that thing he seems awestruck by usc and la and i know he spent a lot of time out there recruiting and and, it, and just it, it's interesting because it goes because i think back to when lsu fired ogeron that week lead of my mailbag top question which is the better job usc or lsu and i said i think it's lsu but they're so different that you know, two two coaches may give two different answers because some people may not want anything to do with a city like LA and the traffic and the smog and blah 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 and the really really expensive housing and would be much more comfortable in an SEC town. And some people may be the exact opposite. And Lincoln Riley looked like somebody who thinks it's just really cool to move his family to LA. Uh, he was on Scott Van Pelt's show um, Monday night and referred to it as you know starting a new chat was time to start a new chapter and and this is the place that made sense to do it 
Yeah, he said at one point about like, I thought this was actually a, a you know, he's a cool little perspective. He was like, you know, I want my daughters and my family to experience very different things. And Lincoln and his, and his wife, Caitlin, are from, like, he's from Muleshoe, Texas, and she's from a neighboring small town, right? And so, you know, they, I think after tech, they moved to Greenville, South Carolina, Greenville, North Carolina, you know, to be at East Carolina with Ruffin McNeil. And then from there, he ended up in Norman. And I think this is going to be a very different, uh, different lifestyle for them. But I think he seems to really embrace it. And I think you're right on that. Like, look, to me, you know, whether USC or LSU is the better job, you know, I don't think anybody was having that question 10 years ago, right? You know, so, and nobody was having that question 20 years ago. It's not to say LSU wasn't a good job, but like when, I don't even know who was the equivalent of, of DiNardo when DiNardo was at LSU, if it was Ted Tolner or if it was Paul Hackett, I guess it was probably Paul Hackett, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I don't think that like people would have said, "Oh yeah, you know, LSU at this is is the better job." LSU when but, I was growing up was not a factor at all. I mean, LSU. The first time I remember LSU being kind of relevant was that they had Kevin Falk. Right, he was a great player, all American, but it wasn't like they were competing for the national title. The LSU as you know it today started when Saban got there, which in the grand scheme of things was 20 years ago. Whereas USC, you can go all the way back to the early days of college football. They've been a national presence. Uh, now, I would say in today's sport and the way college football is today, LSU is better set up for success because they're in the SEC, because they make SEC money, uh, because they're the only show in that state, college football-wise. But you're also in a much, much tougher competitive environment, and it's only going to get tougher. So... Um, I can absolutely see why it would be appealing to the coach of Oklahoma to knowing that you're about to go be in the SEC West or whatever the new alignment's going to be, uh, to rather be out there at USC, which when it's got the right coach can dominate the Pac-12. I don't think Oregon's going to, you know, as long as Cristobal's there, I don't think Oregon's going to like part, you know, C's are going to part for USC and Lincoln Riley. Like that could be a really competitive rivalry. Um, but it, but it makes sense. Now, that being said, I'm not sure I've ever seen a coach leave a program and have that program immediately just go into a complete chaos and free fall. The only thing I can compare it to is when James Franklin left Vanderbilt for Penn state and brought like half his recruiting class with him, which was considered kind of taboo at the time. Uh, Trace McSorley was one of the players, one of the commits that came with him turned out to be pretty important for Penn state. You know, Lincoln Riley's leaving. He's bringing half the staff with him, including a strength coach. Uh, Spencer Rattler entered the transfer portal. Say, now that's entirely surprising. Jordan Hazelwood entered the transfer portal, and all the top recruits from Southern California are decommitting, and we're all assuming they're going to follow him to USC. Yeah, and Bob, Bob's got to hold down yeah. the fort. It seems like while there's a search, so you know, Bob Stoops I, is out recruiting think, for Oklahoma right now. It's like good old days. Yeah, look, Bob, Bob, Bob loves the program. Bob loves it there. Bob's son plays there, so I think there's a lot of connections. Bob's authentic, so this is like... I hadn't thought of that, actually. You know, That's going to be really cool. He's going to get to coach Drake in a bowl game. Yeah, and um, Isaac, his other, the other twin, I think is a student assistant there. So, 
So uh, that part of it's really cool. I, I covered the Rose Bowl where Barry Alvarez came back and coached Wisconsin because uh, Bielema had left. Like, good for good for Bob. That'll be fun. But you know, that program. I mean, those fan those fans. I, the only thing I can compare it to is that when Saban left LSU and then came back to Alabama like two years later, I can remember going to one of their games where there were Nick Satan shirts everywhere. He was just dead to them. Uh, this this feels like that and maybe even worse. They literally one night he's coaching them for a shot at the Big 12 title and possibly playoff berth. And, you know, the next night he's gone and the night after that he's in recruits homes and with a USC shirt and a fight and doing the fight on sign. They're just Oklahoma fans are just beside themselves right now. They're they're furious, and I can't say I blame them. Yeah, he was there five years. He had a ton of success, and then that was it. I think it would be much easier if he had just said, "Hey, I'm going to be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys or, or whatnot." So yeah, people people understand when a coach goes to the NFL, they do not like it when the coach goes to another college program that they consider to be, you know, not. I mean, Lincoln Riley had a, said in that press conference at one point something like. You know, that no college program has better, more history and tradition than this place, and it's it was almost like you might as well have just taken a dagger and stuck it straight in Joe Castiglione's heart because Oklahoma has plenty of tradition and history. Yeah, you don't see the major to major move like Dan Mullen left from Mississippi State to to Florida, but I don't think anybody looked at me that and goes, "Yeah, he had a good job and you le- you left it for this place," you know, kind of thing. I I don't know how pissed off Mississippi State fans are about that or were. I don't remember, but you don't usually see a ton of. No, you know, not blue blood to blue blood, and we've had two of them in two days. I mean, what did you like? I mean, Jimbo Fisher left Florida State for Texas A and M, but I think things had gone bad by the end, so I don't know that they necessarily felt Bielema, burned by that. Bielema be left wrong. Wisconsin for Arkansas. I don't think exactly they loved him for that. It, it, crazy. This one's crazy now, but it, you know it was. Extenuating. So Dennis Francione left Alabama for Texas A&M, um, which was, if that happened today, you'd be, it would be much, it, it was kind of stunning, but Alabama was on probation from the Albert Means thing. Like it would actually made sense that he was leaving Alabama for A&M, but obviously Alabama fans were, were not pleased with it. Nobody's ever pleased when their coach leaves for another school. Well, what's weird is like, I remember, and I should remember this better because I wrote about it for a book, but like, when Dennis Erickson left Washington State for Miami, I think, I don't know how they felt about him in Pullman, but they hated him in Miami, right, when he first got there. Yeah. And so I think, don't think they thought he belonged, you know, because they had such affinity for Jimmy Johnson. Who are these guys coming in with their parkas and everything like that? And so that was like the flip side of it. But, yeah, this is... I've got Northwestern friends who, when Gary Barnett left for Colorado, like, they never forgave him. And it's like, guys, he took them to the Rose Bowl. Like the, the greatest season in school history is is you owe it to him. And it's like, ah, he left in the middle of the night, sent an email, blah blah blah. People just, you know, and I get it. I get. It. I don't want to be sound like I'm I'm being snarky about this. No, believe it's me, it's your I, school. I understand. You I love your school. You with all, and I think people feel betrayed because they think the coach should have that same level of loyalty, right? That you do as a fan. But they don't. It's a job to them. Who has more disdain? Some of your friends do for Gary Barnett leaving, or you do for Milt McCall for staying? <laughs> the, maybe they've got bigger problems than Mick McCall now. 
<laughs> they may have two coordinators they need to replace. Um, let's not go down that road. So look, uh, we spent 45 minutes just talking about two coaching changes, but I think they are that, you know, we, we go years covering the sport and not have two coaching changes as dramatic as those. And this carousel is not done spinning by any means. As of this recording, we still have openings at Virginia Tech, uh, at obviously Notre Dame. At Oklahoma. At Oklahoma. I mean, think about all the school. If you go back to last year, right, you're going to have new coaches in a two-year span at Notre Dame, Oklahoma, USC, LSU, Texas changed coaches last year. Florida changed coaches. Florida's changing coaches. Washington Um, has changed coaches. Who's that? Washington has changed coaches. Yeah, I don't really put them in the same level as those others, but yes. Um, just the amount of blue bloods that are turning over coaches. Auburn, Auburn changed coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee changed coaches. I don't know if you consider them, you know, if you put them in the Washington category, but that's, those are all sizable, sizable entities. Um. As always, you can send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. We're still coming back with our emails episode later this week. We're burning the midnight oil for you guys to give you an extra episode tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.